following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good evening, family. Ron Geyer with End Time Insights. Welcome. It is always a pleasure to speak with you about the things of God. We focus on talking about the things of God that others don't talk about, probably messages you won't hear in your church. Uh, We'll talk about some difficult topics about sin. We'll talk about judgment. We'll talk about the dangers to the church, what's false, what's real. We'll hopefully give you insight in how to discern what's God and what's not God, what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. Today we're finishing up, we talked about it last week, about the Christian responsibility uh, in the face of all the dangers and the assaults that are coming against us. And we're going to piggyback off that. I've only got a couple of things I want to say about that, finishing that topic today. And then I'm going to talk about Christian difficulties. You know, we've warned you about the dangers. Now, okay, how do we respond? What do we do? What are the pitfalls facing us as Christians? And we're going to talk about that today. And you're going to be surprised because I know we've been taught erroneously, but God sends these difficulties across our path to test us, to grow us, to make us more like him, to make us fit for the kingdom of God. We don't work our way into the kingdom of God. Salvation is free. It's a gift. You couldn't earn it. But we are responsible to keep that salvation. We are responsible to make sure that we're staying where we're supposed to be, doing what we're supposed to be doing, following the things we're supposed to be following. So the last verse that we were hitting on last week was Second Timothy 2.15. We were talking about the different translations. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We were focusing on the workman that needeth not be ashamed. You know, we're on the job. I used to attend a large church here, and one of the leaders of the prayer ministry, the leader, her name was Barbara Guthrie, wonderful lady. I'm sure she's still around. And she would always tell us, okay, now, no chewing gum. Make sure you look good. Got breath mint in your mouth because you're on the job for God. (laughs) And I love it, but it's true. And basically, that's where we are today in our Christian walk with the Lord. We're on the job for God. We're being witnesses for God. We're representing the kingdom of God to a lost and dying culture. 2 Timothy 2.15, the King James, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Notice here the emphasis is on study. We're encouraging you. Don't just read your Bible. Study your Bible. These are the last days. You need to be armed with the truth. You need to know. The Bible says that they that fear the Lord understand all things. They that seek the Lord understand all things. You need to study your Bibles. You need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. I want to show you some of the other renderings, the other versions. For example, the ASV says you are to be handling aright the word of truth. We ought to be intimate with the word, touching it, letting it touch us. Christianity is a hands-on type of business. No Christianity from afar. No Zooming Christianity. It's up close and it's personal with the Lord God. Hallelujah. The Amplified says, handling accurately and skillfully, teaching the word of truth. And that reminded me of David, King David, Psalm seventy-eight, seventy-two. So David shepherded Israel according to the integrity of his heart 
and he guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Now you know why God chose David. He was a hands-on kind of leader. C-E-B, one who interprets the message of truth correctly. This goes for both teacher and student. I want to be sitting under the ministry of men that speak the word of God with an understanding, with the Holy Spirit giving revelation knowledge. I don't want their understanding. I don't want their wisdom. I want the pure word of God. Personally, I don't trust anybody with my soul. And you need to be able to put yourself in that same position too. Nobody has charge over my soul but me. Hallelujah. And so I have the same Holy Spirit in me that the teacher is supposed to have in them. And you have the same Holy Spirit in me, in you, that's listening to me now. You should know, Ron, that's biblically accurate. I sense the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. It lines up to the Word of God. And if I ever err, if I ever deter from doing that, you need to leave. You need to find somebody else to listen to. I only want to give you the Word of God. I am speaking for God, and I had better do it accurately. I had better interpret the message of truth correctly. The CEV, talking about rightly dividing the word of truth, who teaches only the true message. There's only one message, and I've got to learn it, and I've got to preach it if I'm going to represent God accurately. The easy-to-read version uh, translates it this way, one who applies the true teaching in the right way. Proverbs fourteen twelve. there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. So I can tell when a man gives his opinion, I can tell when someone is expositorily teaching, breaking down scriptures, you should be able to tell the difference too. You know why? Because man's ways will kill you. EXB, Expanded Bible, who uses the true teaching in the right way, correctly handles the true message, the word of truth, or who holds carefully to the true message, the word of truth. Hebrews 2.1, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Christians have a propensity for drifting away, for being caught on the sea of life with its distractions, its allurements, its temptations. We need to make sure that we are discerning the word of God, God's word, who isn't ashamed to teach the word of truth correctly. I'm not ashamed. I will no longer apologize nor make excuses for pastors who refuse to boldly present the gospel truth. Cowards aren't getting into heaven, and surely I'm not going to let them teach me. So this is the understanding that we have about studying the word of truth, learning the word of truth. The message, laying out truth, plain and simple, the N-A-B-R-E, imparting the word of truth without deviation. Paul talked about the Galatians. He says, I'm amazed how quickly you are deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel, which is not even a gospel. Evidently, some people are troubling you and trying to distort the gospel of Christ. So never mind the false teacher who changes or deviates from gospel truths. My concern is for you. Why? Because when we follow such people, Paul says this is what happens. You wind up deserting Christ. So I want to talk about Christian difficulties that we're facing. And yes, you've got false teachers. That's one of the difficulties. But I want to start off in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. As I'm doing this lesson and studying it, I was thinking about the book, This Pilgrim's Progress. I think it was Bunyan that wrote it, I think. And uh, it's neat. He's on a road. It it identifies a, a young guy gets saved and he's traveling the road to heaven. And he meets all sorts of obstacles in his way. And so we're kind of going to go along that path. My foundation scripture is going to be Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus is speaking. 
Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in that gate. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Okay, here we go. Jesus, the King of the kingdom, the king of heaven, the author of eternal life. He is just invited all mankind to join him in heaven's eternity. He not only invites us in, but he tells us where the front door is. By the way, there is no back door. (laughs) There's not even another way. The only entrance into the kingdom is through the straight gate. Despite what many teach, it's not a one-time event. It's a lifelong journey marked by obedience, resulting in sanctification that brings you to this gate. Okay, let's read it again. Enter ye in at the straight gate. Enter ye. God is giving you a personal invitation. I love it. Enter ye. He's talking to them. He's talking to me. It's an invite. Ron, enter ye in at the straight gate. If you want to go to heaven, if you want to find eternal life, you must enter in at the straight gate. It is both a command, an encouragement, and an invitation as well. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. So there is another gate. There is not another entrance, there is another gate. The straight gate leads to life. It leads to heaven. However, the broad gate, the broad road, the wide way leads to destruction. I believe that most of us in the church are on the road to destruction and we don't even know it. Enter ye in at the straight gate and avoid the broad way that leads to destruction. And then he says... Many there be which are going in the broad way. They are going to destruction. Let me read that. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in. Go in where? They go into destruction. Remember, the wide gate, the wide road leads to destruction. The narrow gate, the narrow road leads to life. Because straight is the gate, And narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Find it. Are you looking for it? You're supposed to be looking for the narrow gate. Why? Because it's there for you. It's the only way to get into life, into heaven. You're supposed to be looking for it. You're invited to look for it. But you've got to be finding it. Narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. So I... I was in a church and the preacher said that, you know, he believes that, well, even if it's only one, there will be more people in the earth today that get saved than don't get saved. And I'm wondering, this guy's a pastor. What Bible are you reading? Don't you understand the words of Christ? Don't you believe the words of Christ? And as I've come to find out over the course of time, the more I study, the more wrong this gentleman is. And so here we see it right again. Few there be to find it. Matter of fact, I was reading a a verse today, a scripture in Zechariah, and it talked about the fact that uh, only one third of Israel, a remnant, will be saved. And I go, well, you know, I can understand that. I can see how that could be analogous to the church. Only a few there be to find it. 
Now, in a world's population of what, 300 and, oh no, is it 8 billion, right? America, 330 million, something like that. And the world population is, I think, 8 billion, maybe 9, somewhere in there. What would a few be there? Okay, right? And if you bring that in and you make it analogous to what he's talking about, few there be that find it, and you remember the scriptures about the Jews, one-third being saved, you understand what's talking about in the book of Revelation where two-thirds of the population will be destroyed before Christ comes back. You can see that one-third number being moved on and on. What is it? One-third of the angels went and they followed Satan when he uh, got kicked out of heaven. So I'm sure there's some significance there that I don't know. The point being, though, there's only a few of us that are going to find that narrow gate. And it's not just you find the narrow gate and you're done. No, that's just the starting point. Okay? It's not a one-time event. It's not you, you make a decision for Christ and that's it. It's a lifelong journey. And it's marked by obedience resulting in sanctification that brings you to this gate. And notice there's a, a second gate. This gate is larger. It's wider. It's more appealing. You get to this gate, not by the narrow road, but by the wide road. It's designed that way to accommodate a larger crowd. Most people will find this road attractive. Their favorite preachers are on this road as guides. It has less challenges and is easier traveled. This road has no signs. There are no warning signs that speak of the danger to where it leads. And it leads to where? It leads to destruction. Let me give you the message translation of Matthew seven thirteen and 14. This is great. I don't normally teach out of the message, but I'll read it when I'm reading scriptures just to see the uh, present-day vernacular and the way it's written. And oftentimes, it's really great. Matthew seven thirteen and 14 in the message. Don't look for shortcuts to God. I love that. That drives it home. You know, we're a nation of shortcuts. We're a nation of instant gratification. Don't look for shortcuts here uh, to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. That's what we've got. We've got spare time Christianity. It continues. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, the way to God is vigorous and requires total attention. And that's why I chose this verse. The way to God is vigorous and it requires total attention. I believe here in America, this is exactly what we have done. We have looked for and we have found shortcuts to this kingdom of God. We live in an instant society, whether it's for food or pleasure or self-gratification. What we want, we want now. And never mind any repercussions, we'll deal with them later. That's what we've done with our Christianity. That's what we've done with God. In living like that, we also have developed a new religion that we can live out in our spare time. It requires little dedication zero holiness, it fits into the world's culture quite nicely, and it offends no one but God. I love the end of this verse. The way to life to God is vigorous and requires total attention. You know, sometimes sermons, they can't go past 28 minutes. No, 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 no. Our attention span isn't even that long. Uh, Church can't last past 90 minutes. It's a Sunday, man. I've got things to do. (laughs) And then only on Sunday can we have a 90-minute church. God gave everything he had. It's the least we can do. He wants everything you have back. We need to revisit our commitment to him here in America. Nothing short of total surrender will do. Luke 13 basically is the same narrative as Matthew 7, but there's something I want to point out. It goes a little deeper, 
into the demands that Christianity places on the believer. Don't forget, we're talking about Christian difficulties, and we're looking at the road that the Christian must travel to reach the proper destination, life, heaven, eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 13, verses 23 and 24. Then said one of them to Jesus, Lord, are there only a few that be saved? This guy was hearing God properly. He was listening to the Lord, and he came to the conclusion, Lord, only a few are going to be saved? And Jesus said to them, strive, S-T-R-I-V-E, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able to. Once again, Jesus is confirming what was said in Matthew 7. There's only one gate. It's straight. It's narrow. And he says the way to stay on that road is striving. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. The questioner here read Jesus right. Only a few will be saved. I've heard preachers say they're going to be more saved than they will be lost. Not in my world of Christianity. I believe Jesus over the preacher any day. Strive. In the Greek, it's agonizomai. Agonizomai. A-G-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. And yes, you can see our English word agonize is within that, that word. Its meaning is to contend with an adversary or to strive earnestly. And it's used in the Bible with the idea of laboring on the behalf of Christ. Speaking of labor, that word in 2 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven has a strength of effort to it as well. Let me read that verse. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The Amplified says it a little bit more correctly here. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be ye steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, always doing your best and doing more than is needed. I love that. Being continually aware that your labor, and here's the point, even to the point of exhaustion in the Lord is not futile nor wasted. It is never without purpose. The Greek word there for labor is kopage, K-O-P-O-J. It means toil, toil that reduces one's strength, literally or figuratively. By implication, it means pains, labor, trouble, weariness. I don't know how each of you specifically feels about your commitment to Christianity. I don't know how you've been taught concerning your position here on the earth. You know, there's a wide range of opinions regarding the Christian's role in the church, Christian's function here on the earth as a member of the body of Christ. And yet we've been taught that we're on this earth for many reasons. Those reasons include anywhere between being placed here on a playground and being placed here on a battleground and all points in between, right? The common surmise would be that it's somewhere in the middle But if you will study the words of Jesus, just a couple of scriptures I've given you here, and you add that to the writings of Paul, I think you'll come around to seeing how difficult and demanding and dangerous the life of a Christian is while on this earth. You understand the labor that we are supposed to be exhibiting in working for the Lord is to bring us to the point of exhaustion. He wants everything you've got. He wants everything that you can possibly offer in your service to him, in your service to others. No holding back anything. I want you to spend your life for my service. And then you've got the road that we're supposed to be traveling on, which is fraught with dangers, fraught with temptations, fraught with potential for defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat. 
These are not easy times to be a Christian. It should cost you your life. Whether you lose it in the natural realm in service, whether you're in the Middle East or in somewhere else, whether you lose that life figuratively or you're giving it up literally by saying, Lord, everything that I've been given is for you, to glorify you, to bring you glory, to bring others into heaven. Well, I'm showing you the the difficult road the Christians must travel, and we're actually just getting started. One of the favorite verses that I have have come to love as I'm doing this study is found in Acts 14.22. Paul and Barnabas, they're out there, and they're ministering. And what are they doing? Verse 22, they are confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. So here's another promise from God that it's not an easy road traveled because you're only going to get there. You've got to go through a tunnel. There's a tunnel on this narrow way. It's continuous. We'll call the tunnel tribulation. And it's through much tribulation that we enter into the kingdom of God. The Amplified Classic reads this way, establishing and strengthening the souls and the hearts of the disciples, urging and warning and encouraging them to stand firm in the faith and telling them that it is through many hardships and tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That language is strong there. Don't forget, we're talking about discussing and explaining the difficulty in being a Christian on this earth, living in this fallen world, subject to godless authority in a godless culture. This is true discipleship right here, what Paul and Barnabas are doing. Here, Paul demonstrates what true discipleship looks like. Ray Steadman says, The Christian life is more than merely being converted. It's growing in Christ. And that's what this example, that's what this analogy to being on a road explains. You just don't get saved and that's it. You've got a road to travel to ensure this life remains in you. Don't forget, you don't work for your salvation. It's free. It's the gift of God. Hallelujah. You can't earn it but you must work to keep it. Hallelujah. That's what Paul is doing as he goes from city to city. What's he doing exactly? I love the phrase. He's confirming the souls. So many of our pastors are not looking out for your souls. They're looking out for their church, their church growth. They want to make sure that their people are healthy emotionally, physically, financially, But I wonder how many of them have hearts that are looking out for your soul, that they are confirming your soul. Paul and Barnabas, they were not any of those ear-tickling preachers which are so prominent today in the church. They cared for the souls of God's people. They knew their calling. They knew what their duty was, discipleship. And they were good at it. What makes one good at discipleship? That's easy. They were exhorting one's faith They were confirming one's faith. They were establishing and strengthening the souls and the hearts of the disciples with the truth. In this specific instance, the truth that they needed to hear, the truth that God sent them to preach was further direction that would ensure they would stay on that narrow way, the straight path leading to the straight gate. Remember, exhortation is not what we think it is. It's not a pat on the back and a kind word. It's a boot in the butt and a harsh rebuke. Exhort in Webster's to incite by argument or advice, to urge strongly, to give warnings or advice, to make urgent appeal. That's what exhortation is, but we don't want to talk to God's people like that today. We might offend them. They might leave the church. 
Today, Paul wouldn't be welcomed in the full gospel churches that I've been associated with. He would be shut down like they shut down David Wilkerson. David Wilkerson, he gave biblical warnings of the coming judgments of God upon our nation because of our sin. He went from the darling of the Pentecostal movement to a pariah because he spoke harsh truths that went against the whitewashed Christian message that would fill their churches. I'm going to stop at that point. I'm excited about this teaching. It's really good. It's really important. And we'll come back to it next week. I pray that you're going to study the scriptures that we've given you. That road is a real road. It's a dangerous road. And you're going to need the truth, the word of God, to keep you on it and to get you through it in Jesus' name. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net.